0: Anthea Turner, it is really brilliant to have you with me for 20 questions with, well, remotely with me. It's lovely to see you and I'm very touched that you like my colour-coordinated bookshelves or books.
1: Yeah, um, it was the first thing I noticed, apart from obviously saying hello to you, my eyes went straight to the bookshelf and obviously you're listening to this so it starts with a deep orange on the top and then it fades down to a yellow and then we start to go into like a turquoise a blue a deeper blue and then I think he got a bit fed up by the bottom shelf
0: <laughs> just <laughs> think about all the words contained in those colors and the very different types of word from sport to politics to all sorts of different things yeah. it's amazing how many books have been written in life in the so- world
1: yeah, of course, of course, absolutely. But I'm I'm still focused on this. I just have to ask you a question. This is my first question to you. And I know this should be the other way around. Why?
0: Because I love rainbows, for a start. Uh-huh. I love colour. And I knew that it would give me pleasure. So every time my eye drifts to that corner of the room, I do feel pleasure, I think. My wife was not certain about it, to start with, I have to say. Uh-huh. Well, in fact, that's, that, that's probably understating it she was not very pro it but I'm I'm secretly hoping she started to, to acclimatize it's just my little corner of the room I used to have a rainbow room upstairs
1: okay how old were you then
0: well I was about 34
1: 35 what?
0: and, and it, it literally took me a week and I I painted yeah. the room in strips so there are about I think there might have been more than seven colors there might have been 10 colors and I used masking tape to get the line straight and I literally wow. went around the room painting it and it was a it was a great joy
1: a joy yeah no I had rainbows they do and, and isn't it funny it's one of those things if you see one in the sky everybody stops looks at the rainbow and tries to take pictures of it I was I was in town and it was a rainstorm and it, it was Piccadilly and I can't tell you how many people were stopping because the sun came out the rain stopped and there was the most terrific rainbow and just everybody even you could see people at traffic lights still looking up at this rainbow so they're very attractive and they they obviously pull your eye in they
0: Both do of them they, they pull your eye in right right, <laughs> right okay then. i i like you i have dogs well you have one dog
1: yes i have soho's actually with my dad at the moment he's on his hollybobs. bobs um, my, my mom died sadly uh, last year, and of course, it's always difficult for the one who's left behind. And you know, my dad's lost his mate of sixty-seven years, and you know, he's very stoic. He's really good. He's good Midland stock, uh, but he—he he was obviously lonely. And you know, in a relationship, and I think a lot of people listening will concur with this. If you're in a relationship, there, there tends to be one person who's the social secretary, and it was mom. Mom organized everything to do with the socials. Dad happily went along, but I don't think he ever bought a ticket, sorted out a dinner in his life. And he had many other strings to his butt, but he never did. And so all of a sudden he's, well, you can see that there's just that that visceral loneliness. Anyway. I was going on holiday and Mark said to me, he said, why don't we just ask your dad to look after Soho? Soho's a French bulldog. And he's quite a cute French bulldog, uh, very active. He's, well, he's he's nine, ten this year. And um, I said, well, good idea. Anyway, every time I rang dad, it was like I was talking to a different man. All he wanted to, what he'd done with Soho. And of course, French bulldogs are companion dogs. I've always had proper dogs i refer to as proper dogs. But Soho's a companion dog, so he just wants to be where you are. And if you leave the room, he'll go with you. Um, he'll check that you're not coming back in the room before he makes the effort, but he will go with it wherever. So it's like, that. That just was blossoming with Soho. So I think we're sort of – we're co-parenting at the moment. So he's been there for three weeks. I do want to bring him home in a couple of weeks, but I sort of oh, – I just know – It's really difficult because I love that dog so much and so does Mark. But we realise what he's doing for Dad. And of course, he's happy as Larry.
0: You must miss him terribly.
1: I'm missing him terribly. So I'm going to go up and I'm going to pick him up in uh, two weeks' time.
0: I was only mentioning dogs because I was going to say that if our dogs bark because the postman comes round, then we'll have to stop and start.
1: Oh, no, don't, because that's that's part of the fun of doing something like this.
0: They, they And they all right. gone,
1: whatever it is. Soho French bulldogs don't really bark. and um, But he barks at the postman. These, and he can't wait for the bell to go. And he goes belting down there like he's protecting the home. And then he jumps up and he licks the postman and does his little dance. And he's all very happy.
0: These guys are so lovely and so well behaved as well. But when the door goes, they get yes, quite they loud. They, protect.
1: they have they to they protect. protect the UPS protect man, them. the Amazon man. They have to protect so, their homestead.
0: I'm only counting this as one question. And my so my first question unexpectedly was, do you miss Soho? <laughs> Not that Soho, <laughs> although maybe you miss that Soho as well. because yeah. well, lots called- of fun things happen in that Soho.
1: Yes, yeah, they do. Well, he's, and he's called Soho because um, my fiancé, Mark, um, had offices in Soho and he was very much in the club business. And so Soho was his hunting ground and he's the sort of person who disappears off to Groucho. So uh, when he decided to have a dog uh, before I came on the scene, the dog was called Soho. And now it, it just, it's, everybody knows about Soho. Obviously, he's, he's talked about he was Mark's little pal for so many years when Mark was on his own. And now Mark thinks I've put, taken him over because Soho spends all of his time with me and goes anywhere with me.
0: Since you, since you mentioned Mark and also companionship, do you find that you function better or enjoy life more when you're part of a couple, when you're part of a partnership, when you're in a relationship?
1: Yes, yes 100%. Um, it did me good being on my own Um, I think I appreciate a relationship more and and relationships are interesting as you as you get older what you're looking for in a relationship as well you know you're not coming together so you can save for a house you're not thinking of having a baby Um, there's there's a sort of there's a beautiful difference that needs to be celebrated by um, meeting your love Um, and I was Fifty nine marks a little bit younger than me, not that much, but enough to make him go on about it. So, so I, and I and I think it's these, and I can only say this because I'm the age I am. But you look back on your life and homes and partners and things that have happened. We're all there for a reason. Sometimes they stay, and that's lovely. And you know, I, I, I never thought I would get divorced. Um, however where I am now in the place I am I'm I'm back in London um, with Mark and this is the right relationship for me at my age where I am now and I'm a big believer in being the now and spends a lot of time thumbing back in your book of life that's not good
0: <laughs> what makes you happy
1: I'm a Gemini so this is a difficult one because there's lots of things that make me happy I think I think there's a contentment. I think there's a contentment and, but you make that content world. You work hard to make it like that. You know, we've been around television and radio, you know, most of our lives. And we watch these television programs that are alive um and you think, oh my god and it's also off the cuff you know whether it's Michael McIntyre or Anson Deck you know all sorts of things that I've been involved in in the past but in actual fact it's a well rehearsed live show where everybody knows exactly what they're doing and I, I you know I think I've done my rehearsals I really have um so what makes me happy is now because um I've learned in the university of life what to let go of, what to hold on to, what to appreciate.
0: What makes you unhappy?
1: Mess. And that's when I say that it's got something to do with my dyslexic brain, where I, if there's a mess in the house, there's a mess in my paperwork. There is unfinished business. I I, I don't function well. And I, I have looked into this because it's it can sometimes be a little bit difficult for me to deal with, and it has gone back to a dyslexia, and I've spoken and because I do give speeches of to dyslexic children um and um and it and I've spoken to a lot of people who have the same problem that I have, and what they do is they tidy what they can see because they know there's a bit of a jumble going on there um and whether they are. Aware of this or not, I know a lot of really tidy dyslexics who would actually do what you've done to your bookshelf or the spice rack or lots of different things around the house. you, you what? you have what? Um, so I, I have worked hard not to also make that um, a problem because, I, you know, it, it's not OCD. It, it's not in that level whatsoever. But I, I like to get everything sorted. I really do. And then I can function and then I can be happy. So, um, yeah, I'm not very good in a math.
0: I have actually been diagnosed with OCD. So I don't know whether the, the colourful books thing is a, <laughs> is, a, is, a, is some sort of happy, happy feature of my OCD. But my, my OCD has actually given me a lot of difficulties at times in my life. But I hope I'm sort of on top of it at the moment. I think effect. it's for the
1: people you can hide it. I hid my dyslexia for a long, long time. I was I was I was brilliant at hiding it. You know, we didn't have spell check back in the day. We didn't, we also weren't able to say, look, I'm really sorry, I'm dyslexic. Could you just spell that for me? I would have never said that. I I, th- I would have I, I would have gone red, I would have run out. I remember going when I got my first job at the BBC, I had to fill in this form. And I remember saying, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I mean, I'm I'm just going to the loop. I took the form to the toilet and fortunately we had got mobile phones and I rang my mom, who is actually an English teacher of all things. How did she manage? How did she get a dyslexic child? Um, So and I sat in the toilet with my mom going through this form. And then, of course, when you panic, you um, you're worse. It just completely goes. Thankfully, oh. I can read; otherwise, I wouldn't be able to read an autocue. How much?
0: How much do you miss your mum?
1: My mum was 92 when she died, and the last two years were not her best. The well, last three years were probably not her best. And she lived in Stoke-on-Trent with my dad. And so, since the age of, and this I'm asking, answering this in a sort of roundabout because I need to, and since the age of about. Uh, 23 I've not lived at home like a lot of people you know we all moved we move around now where we don't live with with our you know near to our parents so I'm not used to seeing my mom every day I'm not I was used to phoning her family events popping down dad driving up here a lot of interaction then the but as they get older there's there's not so much you you know so you're used to a longer distance relationship my mom and this is a really odd thing to say but i hope some people will understand that There's who've been through the same thing and lived away from their parents my mom is nearer to me now than she's been in quite a few years because i am quite spiritual i do but i don't believe we just die and i honestly chat to my mom most days at some point or other I go, Mom, just talk, What do I do with this? How do I, how do I do this? I don't know, whether I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to my mom, I'm throwing it out there to the universe. And so she's with me. She's always with me. And I know when people say, oh no, she's always with you in your heart. Well, it's true. Absolutely true. Um, but it has hit me how much we are now a sort of, <sighs> dispersed society we move around not many of us live round the corner from our parents anymore and i have friends back in the midlands who still do and they're able to pop around to see their parents you know now my dad is on his own i can't pop around you know i go and you know once a month i'm you know on my way up the m40 um with soho <laughs> and so is my sister but we can't just pop rounds and say oh it's a nice day do you want to come back for a walk dad Uh, And and that's hurting me.
0: How do you look back on your childhood?
1: I had a lovely childhood, really nice. And my mum and dad, it wasn't a lot of money around, but they put a massive effort into my childhood. And um, considering everything that is talked about at the moment with how children grow and develop from those very early years and it sort of sets your path and lots of things to do with your personality, um, uh, my my mum and I gave us my mum and I, my mum and dad gave my sisters and I a very solid path of which I'm more grateful now than I was uh you know even I don't know 15, 20 years ago. Because I realize now. Um I realize that my mother is in me, um, that, that teaching from my mom, from my dad, um that that it's and it's quite a sort of um grassroots. Feet on the ground, Midlands upbringing, and when you face problems, which we do, because lots of people like to talk about a midlife crisis. I think there are crises constantly, as oh. we, as we grow and move ourselves through this world. Um, but it's it's how you deal with them, and I, I think I've dealt with everything because of them and because of what they instilled into me. It- um, and there was a lot of, you know, it's that sixties childhood, isn't it? It's, you know, where there's lots of let's pretend. You know, mom's mini was the police car. Our dog was the police dog. My dad's, uh, you know, I, I could, I didn't have any brothers so I can climb trees and look for fossils and learnt how to ride a bike and fish with my dad. So, <laughs> but it was a really great, uh, you know, and I'm so grateful to them for what they did. And I think they they gave up a lot to give us what they could.
0: How have you experienced the sort of transition from a childhood, as you've described it, where imagination was such an important part of it, to a world now which is drenched in social media and drenched in technology, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad?
1: I think we're very lucky that we are the generation I, because I'm obviously, I I didn't grow up at all with social media. I say we, you're so much younger than I am.
0: We look about the same age, I have to say. (laughs)
1: Um, but I I love uh, social media and technology. But I'm in control of it. It's not in control of me, because I knew a life without it. And if I do forget my phone and I'm going out just shopping, I go oh no, I've got my phone. Oh no mind, don't worry, I'll be fine. Um, so, so I have embraced it. But you see, you've got to be careful not to sound like an old trout, haven't you? Because yeah, the, the kids are growing up swiping things. I was watching a girl, she a little girl standing with her dad outside the toilets of a department store, obviously waiting for her mum. And she got this little iPad thing and she was just swiping around, swiping around, waiting. But then on the other hand, and I just thought, oh hasn't that great? She's only little. However, I would have been having a little chat with my dad or we'd have been talking or so I my worry is in this development for everything that they're getting so we're the lucky ones because we know how to we know how to deal with it we know how to shut off from it um but they don't and and what what will they be like will they will they be able to hold conversations will they be able to pretend will they be able to make up stories me and my friend Philip Leek who used to go stickleback fishing down at the canal and my pony, which I used to ride with my friend, Jane, and we were talking the other day only because we were, <laughs> we were reminiscing about a story where there was something in the news. It was obviously about pornography. and Oh, yes, of course, pornography on the Internet. And me and my friend, Jane, were on our little ponies and my mom, who was a teacher and a responsible woman who just said, be back for your tea. And we had a watch. That was the only safety we got was our watch to be back at five o'clock. We found a porn mag in a bush. We got off our ponies to go and get let them suck up some water in the local lake. Nobody worried about us falling in. And, um, and in the bush was a mucky mag. And of course, we were fascinated. Thumbing through it. And then we carefully, I don't know why we did this we very carefully put it back exactly where we'd found it. I don't know if we thought somebody was coming back for it or what was happening. But of course, we giggled and moved on, and that was about it. Neither of us have ever forgotten that moment in our lives. Um, but we moved on. Obviously, I think the frightening thing is, um, is the fact that, what is it, most boys, 93% of boys by the age of 14, I think it's now boys and girls really um, have watched hardcore porn on their handheld device. That's the problem. Those are the real problems.
0: I was Blackberry when I was a boy, can't remember exactly where. And I found <laughs> it. There might even have been two or three in a Blackberry bush or some such. And I sort of smuggled it home under my jumper because I was with my dad and I think a-, a brother. And I got home and I just felt, bad about it so I confided in my mum and managed to smuggle it out of the house and throw it away (laughs) there you go what a connection to have with you Anthea
1: (laughs) what an innocent time it was but would you see neither of us have ever forgotten that pivotal moment in our lives
0: tell me about because you mentioned talking tell me about the importance of talking of chatting of having conversations because a lot of what you've done in your professional life has involved meeting people and having conversations with them
1: i love chatting i am a chatterbox i love chatting to my friends i love chatting i'm very good at chatting to people i don't know at all and that's one of the lovely things actually For having been around for such a long time and being recognizable in certain places um and, and people come up to you and they start chatting to you because they feel they know you and not do they only recognize you. They know you because so we used to watch you on top of the Box. Or you did Blue Peter and da, 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 And then we get to a conversation and I, Mark is always astounded. He said uh, that, he said, do you realize you spent half an hour talking to somebody you don't know? Yes. <laughs> and I have, th- and I will have thoroughly enjoyed myself and, I, it's what humans do, we chat. And I, and I know as well that when, and this is again what we're worrying about with with kids who, who don't chat in the same way because they're so concentrated on their gizmos. Problems in my life, I have gone to my girl group, some boys, but generally I've got this this, you know, your hardcore girl gang and you chat it through. And you share and you talk and you drink too much wine and then it's all sorted. And it's that interaction. And I think girls are probably better at it than boys. Because the other thing I've noticed, you know, you can put a group of girls together who don't really know each other. Before you know it, they'll be talking about their most intimate secrets. All sorts of stuff will come out. They don't know each other. Boys, nah. And, it, and it's that difference between if there's been an argument at home and girl, boy, go to work the next day, you know, the girl's possibly in the toilet crying to a friend, chit-chatting, da 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 Bloke, do you have a nice night? And I said, yeah, 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 I'll watch the football. yeah oh, good, yeah, 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 no, it's fine, fine. Never a word, not a squeak, not a squeak.
0: That said, I, I feel quite lucky to have had really good male friendships over the course of my life and perhaps we don't I don't know perhaps we don't talk about our sex lives as much as girls or women do perhaps we're more coy about that I I don't know for whatever reason but I but I but boys are capable of good friendship
1: and boys and I think this is another thing which has come out in the last um within the last 20 years I think men are more able to talk now than they were. Um, I was doing an interview. It was all about menopause and stuff. Well, you know, I was, that was for me, that was about 13 years ago. But even then, people didn't really talk about it. I had to find out, learn. I hadn't really, you know, lots of, even girls didn't talk about it because it was a sign of getting older. So maybe you didn't want to. That's, you know, whew. No, maybe not. Um, My mother still reckons that she never went through it, which was a lie, because there was, I do remember a period of time when we were always being told off, but she just poo-pooed the whole thing. But we are, you know, what has opened up, I am so grateful for, and I hope I've been part of that talk as well, is that we now talk about things that make a difference to our lives and how we're going to navigate those Areas through our lives, we talk about our divorces, we talk about our relationship problems, and I am all for that. I think it's um, a wonderful, a wonderful thing that's changed.
0: Have you always been comfortable in your own skin? Because you you put yourself out there as a person, but also in in a sense, you put your looks out there, you put your appearance out there, you put yourself out there in a very very public way. You are the face of massive. TV shows, and and you did that from quite a young age. So, did you kind of were you always comfortable and confident, or did you have to become comfortable and confident in the full glare of publicity? How did it work for you?
1: Well, it was a series of events, not necessarily unfortunate events, (laughs) or some. Um, So, of course, looking back, it seems like that. But if you, from your point of view, but if you look at it from mine, I. I don't know. I started doing um, a little bit of radio because I was working for the Automobile Association and I was doing road traffic reports. Thought that's quite nice. And then I used to pop over to the local BBC station and do a bit of ana there. And then um, I got a bit fed up with working for the AA because then and and they got there's a local radio station comes about in the local. Oh, I think I'll get a job there. And I got a job as a record librarian because that. You, you would have loved that one as well, because I was given a room and I had to fill it with records and coordinate them into the various genres. I had to and it was in the old fashioned days where you had a little drawer and lots of little um, little postcards. And I had to I think the Americans would say you had to alphabetize it. So I, 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 I spent six months creating a record library before we went on air and I was in heaven everybody came in there for a chat put a coffee machine in there I was in there running the le- record library all the DJs came in so and then I started doing little bits on air there I said oh can you just do the mid-morning diary yeah okay I'll do that Um and then I came down to London actually worked for a PR company a record company and uh, I was at a party and a friend of mine who's still in the music business now, Golly Gallagher, great name. <laughs> it's a very 80s name that, isn't it? Golly Gallagher. Golly said to me, he said, oh, they're doing um, some auditions. Um, they're looking for a girl to be a VJ on Sky and they're specifically looking for a girl. Um, you ought to go along. You'd be quite good at that. You know a bit about music. I thought, oh. I, I needed a bit more money. So I went along for the audition and I got the job. I auditioned with Pat Sharp, and I got the job. And I just thought it was fabulous. It was great. I di- I decided not to go and work for the record company because I thought I need to give this a bit of a go. I need to concentrate on this um, and swat up. So it was a very, it, it all happened. It wasn't, I want to be famous. It wasn't that at all. And I think that's that is a problem now that we have with, some young people who've probably maybe they see a lot of reality television and footballers now live, you know, very different. It's I, I want to be famous, not quite sure how I'm going to do it, but I want to be famous. Whereas I think it's just been a byproduct of jobs I've ended up in and probably being dyslexic. I was actively looking for something that didn't involve a lot of writing. <laughs> so uh, and I knew I had had this brain jumble. So. And then really, it was a very, because one, you're bitten then, you're bitten. I got sacked from my little job at Sky for not being street cred enough. And the lady who ran the station, Skytrax, said to me, the thing is, I was trying, obviously, to look like a member of Rama, but I obviously wasn't passing it off. And she said, oh, the problem is, Anthea, you're just a little bit too Blue Peter for us." I was in tears. I thought it was rejection. I don't think I could deal with it. It was the rejection I couldn't deal with. Anyway, um, to cut a long story short, I did end up on Blue Peter and that was probably the right place for me. But but say even there, you know, Blue Peter, you have to remember that Blue Peter on a Monday and a Thursday afternoon used to get six and a half million. So your fame star, not that you were aware of it, and not, you know, we didn't get free clothes. We didn't get anything. You just did this job that you became well known for, and I just thought it meant that I'd honestly got all these other friends you know, all these people who come and talk to you, which of course I'm very happy to chat to. So, Blue Peter was fantastic. Where it twisted and where it changed was then moving from Blue Peter to GMTV, which is now big boys' television or big girls' television, should we say um so that's when it became serious up until that point to be honest and I was 32 I was doing blue peter at 32 um I didn't leave until I was 34 that 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 was when you entered a completely different world of which um I would have just run back to blue peter if I could have done why because all of a sudden you are massively exposed but not How do I describe this for that? You really are above the parapet now. Your head is right up there to be shot at. Uh, Blue Peter, you are up there, but not to be shot at. I'm making Tracy Island, for goodness sake. And, you know, talking to children about D-Day landings and going (laughs) over and sitting on Omaha Beach and being outside in an anorak which I suppose if if I, if you ask me now, you know, where's your happy place? It's doing, being outside in an Iraq, getting wet, doing something of that ilk. So all of a sudden I have made this move. Um, They came for me. I said yes and life changed. It became serious. Then you start to be famous.
0: It's interesting because you were... You're still prepared to put yourself out there politically. I mean, you and I met when we were on the set of Jeremy Vine because we were kind of pitted against each other, weren't we? Yes,
1: we were. Unfortunately, we did agree on too many things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but so, uh, so you're you're not afraid to express your opinions, are you?
1: I, do you know? I um, <laughs> no, but it. I I don't feel comfortable putting myself in that situation as long I have to stay within my comfort zone where I think I have a credibility and a reason to express that opinion. I am not one of these people who just wind me up, give me a subject, I'll give you my opinion um, to be on the television. That's that's really not me. I am still the person who left Stoke on Trends, who worked on Blue Peter, who did Perfect Housewife, who is happy um, as I just explained to you. Um, when I've got my nice tidy home and everything sorted and I'm working to look after a lot of people I have a lot of responsibility to people people in my family um, and and that's where I sit do I I yes I my name is known do I want to and be out there um, throwing my opinions out because that's the way to stay on television that's the way to stay current no not really I will on health um, I will on various things that I feel so strongly about, but outside of that, no, no. It, and the other thing is, it's that whole Twitter thing, isn't it? It's just, uh, it's it's actually quite nasty. It's it's not, and you you can't you can't express yourself in the way you want to express yourself, and you can't give a reason for what you're saying, so you just get pummeled, really. So I don't think it's worth it.
0: What have you enjoyed most in your TV career if that's possible to answer I want to try and it sounded like you really enjoyed perhaps loved doing Blue Peter I want to kind of
1: Oh my goodness me that if if I could do an older version of Blue Peter now I I would in a heartbeat that I think that new but you can never go back <laughs> but that that is if there are various programs that I've done because I know how to do a you know you can do a well, they got a Shiny floor show, shiny floor shows. You know, you, you you rehearse them, you do them. You know exactly what you, you know exactly how many cameras you've got, how you're going to play it. Da, 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 da. A live show. I cut my teeth on live television, so that's absolutely fine. But the two programs I have done that I have genuinely enjoyed and loved were Blue Peter and Anthea Turner Perfect Housewife which was a very, it was tongue in cheek, but oh my goodness me, we changed people's lives. It was beautiful to see, to see, I there's something, which is why we love these house makeover programmes. We love looking at a mess and putting it right. I do it all the time.
0: Can I ask you a question that I don't know whether you'll find difficult or not, but you gave so much to children in your career at Blue Peter. Mm -hmm. and you've obviously given so much to so many people and you are you have been so successful and you have you're engaged and the way that you come across to be you seem happy and you've worked as you said earlier towards a contentment and I'm just curious to know whether because there are so many different ways to lead fulfilling and happy lives Mm -hmm. and I remember when I was I don't know maybe in my mid-30s I started to think about the children and I started, and this is perhaps not the stereotype for a man, but I, I started sort of worrying about the idea of not having children. And then I got divorced when I was 40, I think. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I got to a point where I started to think I might not have children. Mm-hmm. And that probably did bother me a bit. But yeah, I'm just curious. I, I now, are now lucky enough to be married again, and, and really quite quickly after my first marriage. And you know, everyone has a different experience of divorce, but it's not a nice thing to go through divorce. Because apart from anything else, you're going through a, a major relationship breakup. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel quite lucky. Well, I feel very lucky to have met someone again and had another chance at that. But before before we had our son, we my my wife already had these two dogs that I mentioned earlier and I was not a dog person at all and I, I was just converted not immediately but I was converted and the love that I feel and have felt for the the boys as we call them is just enormous so there are so many different ways to sort of feel fulfillment and and, ha- and f- feel happy but I think you've talked in the past haven't you and I may be completely wrong about this about at one point wanting to have children so what I'm trying to ask in a roundabout way if you'll permit me is are you sort of at peace with not having children and how do you sort of see that now
1: I am now. I went through, and we have all these different stages of life, don't we? I've thought about exactly that on many occasions, but a friend of mine um, said to me, life makes more sense backwards. So I know if I go back on that chain of obviously coming together with my now ex-husband and very much wanting children, Realise this wasn't happening naturally um, and going through umpteen IVFs and really having to come to that that day and you do really this is not working time wasn't on my side because I'm I'm getting I think I was 43 when I thought hey, let's just stop all this because if you're not careful as well you don't want that, that need and that want to ruin the relationship that you have. Also, into the mix here, um, arrived with Grant um, three little girls who came into my life at two, five and six. They are still in my life, every day of my life. <laughs> and, um, and I have, well, actually, I'll just go back. They came into my life at two, five and six. And you can do one of two things. Um, and that's whether it's I'm not, dogs or children. They come into your life and you have a decision to make. I am going to open my arms and absolutely love you. Or I'm going to see you as reminiscent of a previous relationship or a previous life you had. So, you know, my heart melted with these three little girls. And they, was, they were young, obviously, so... Um, They didn't arrive as teenagers with pods in and saying, you know, Dad, can you drop me off at the station? They arrived wanting to play. So we played. And over the weeks, months, years, we completely fell in love with each other. Um, I put a lot of effort into the girls from a very early age. And as Claudia said to me, not that long ago, actually, and she's uh, 26. Seven this year she said I can't remember a time when you weren't in my life I was very much became a very active part in their life um, it was every other weekend of course and school holidays and I really would clear my diary for those weekends and those school holidays to make sure that they had all of my attention and that as they've grown you know and they're now 30 29 and nearly 27 has paid off not that you do it for for it to pay off but you know that they are as good as my child i love them i don't know what it's like to have a child of my own it isn't an umbilical cord relationship so in some ways it's it's even more special you know they never forget me on mother's day birthdays christmases um claudia did what all kids do they move out they they live with their friends they decide they need to save a bit of money so they come back so claudia and i who and i never forget when grant and i split up actually she stood in the kitchen she was 16 and she just looked at me and she said so where are we going to live because <laughs> the other two are a bit older they got boyfriends so they were not not quite as homebodies at the, at the time and um do you worry about that, Claudia. I'll sort that out. Um, and we roomied, as we say, for quite a few years um, until she's obviously been living with friends, um, but seemed to come back quite a lot. Um, so she is she's the little one. And I suppose I talk about Claudia in a di- slightly different way sometimes because she was only two. Um, and it's very easy to fall in love with a two year old. Um, but we love each other. We really do. The three of us. And um, even though Grant and I are not together, I see them just as much. And, you know, one of them I will speak to most days.
0: The four of you. Well,
1: one of of them, as in the three, I will speak to at least one of them most days. Um, And we're very much in each other's lives. Um, So I, to answer your question, as it's turned out, and I have an unusually close relationship, with my stepchildren, I know. And that was because of the, you know various circumstances. But as it's turned out, actually, I don't think, oh, what would it have been like to have had my own child? Would it have made a difference to my life? Because I don't know what it was like. I have these three great women now in my life for the rest of my life. And it will be grandchildren and everything else that comes along. Um, so, no, I I feel a lightness because our relationship is this really unusual relationship of I like you. I like you as well. Right. I love you. I love you as well. OK, then we're sticking together. We have a history. Of course, we have a history through their dad. Um, but equally so, the other thing um, I felt was very important for them was that. Grant and I, although we got divorced, um, you don't get divorced happily, nobody does. But when you're over the worst of it, navigating the worst of it, we've been able to do with the girls, especially, I mean, now two of them are married, they got married last year, but we really made sure, you know, birthdays, Christmases, the girls' events, we were both there together. Um, I realize I never wanted to be in a situation where I couldn't look forward to being in the same room as the girls and Grant ever so I worked hard they worked we all worked hard to keep that together and and it survives to this day I probably speak to Grant about once a week as well and you know Uh, if there's anything with the girls we have a quick gossip and then I know you speak to her no I'll speak to her about that so (laughs) so there's there's that sort of relationship goes on it was difficult actually for for Mark to just understand that because and I know he wants to say well they're your stepchildren and I don't yeah but it's a bit different than that um but we've both worked at it we've uh, as in the 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 four of us have worked at our relationship. Now we don't have to work at it at all. It is what it is. But in the early days, I think we all worked at it. But okay. I didn't miss out on, I suppose, homework and, you know, sort sorting the uniform out for the next day and all of those things that you do. I have had a taste of it. Not completely, but I have had a taste of it. So I know what that's like. Now I have a stepson. (laughs) I'm starting on a boy.
0: I want to ask you about friendship and the importance of friendships in your life. Because we yes, touched on that earlier when we were talking about chatting and conversation and so forth. But have friendships helped you through your life and through the different challenges you've faced and through publicity? Have you had core friendships to kind of fall back on and, and also to enjoy? Yes.
1: Oh, yes, 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 yes. And in fact, I'm going to lunch when I've spoken to you with my friend Jane Moore. And Jane and I have known each other for a gazillion years, stayed friends through all the ups and downs of life. And I always remember, you know, I've been through some sticky situations, which I had to navigate publicly. and. Jane was there around the table. And I do remember one where Fleet Street's finest were outside. There was 13 cameras. I can't we counted. Outside. And Jane and I were sitting at the kitchen table with my mum, um, just at home, with the door shut and the, the the curtain shut, just chatting and having cups of tea. And just I, I, and you know obviously you're you're well aware of the job that jane does never a squeak and those are good friends and i've got a lot of really solid friends in the business and friends that are outside of the business and they have been you know my savior they really have and i talk to them and i and they're also the, the friends that you don't have to you don't have to be on your guard you don't have to think, well, oh, I'm to be careful what I say. That might slip out, or somebody might, there might be some gossip. Because that that is a worry in this business. You do have to be a bit careful.
0: I was asked to do some work by the BBC last year and the offer got withdrawn because people on the right of politics kind of came after me and said, Well, why are you employing this or engaging this sort of lefty? And I'd been very political on, on Twitter and I'd been very political during my days as an LBC presenter. And the political views I'd expressed had been had come before my engagement with the BBC. I mean, I worked with the BBC years ago, but before this offer. And it was withdrawn and, and it became a sort of national story. And I was in the sun and I was in the mail or the mail on Sunday. I can't remember which. It, it was sort of strange, weird way, as well as being disappointing to lose, the very disappointed to lose that opportunity, which might have led to all sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. There was an element of it being almost a little bit exciting, and that's probably the sort of narcissist in me, and I, and I hope I'm not too much of a narcissist. But I'm mm-hmm. curious to know from your point of view. I mean, I never had people. Of course, I didn't have people camped on my on my doorstep. What was it like for you in the most intense moments of sort of tabloid interest in your life? And yeah, but I mean, like you've you've described the importance of friendships and guests helping helping you during those times. What was it, what was that? What is it like being? the object of this sort of prurient fascination, it may, it might be the way to put it. Mm. And I say that having asked you personal questions myself, but absolutely with your consent. But this, this is a sort of big force, I imagine, that comes at you, whether you want it or not, and says, we're interested in your life. We want to know more. We demand to know more, almost. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because, you see, what had happened was, um, up until... Probably myself, Ulrika Johnson, mm, possibly like Carol Smiley, Carol Vorderman. You were a gob on a sick. You were a television presenter. That was it, really. And nobody was interested in much else, really. And then all of a sudden, what happened was you've got things like OK Magazine and Hello Magazine, and all of the newspapers then decided to do their own magazines. Um, because they realised that they were taking a lot of business, and but the the feeding pot, the the you know, was <laughs> still quite tiny. We're in this kind. Of, we haven't got reality television at this point. Nothing else is happening really. You've got some footballers, but you've got these um, girls on telly. And I don't think that you saw. I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming because you couldn't have done. But all of a sudden, little by little, and the and you do another programme, so you do a few more interviews to support the programme, and every time you do an interview, you're giving a little bit of yourself away. You're not realising it at the time. And then all of a sudden, something happens in your life that maybe is of tabloid interest, and that's when you realise what you've given away and how and um, what it's now like to be in the eye of that storm and that is fairly frightening but also it's like you're removed from it it, it, it is frightening oh, it, it's so difficult to describe because when you're in it it's it's like you think it? this will go away. This will go away. This will stop. This will go away. There's nothing I can do about it now. This is a runaway train. There weren't then. I know people now who are in, those, in that position have PRs. I didn't have a PR. Journalists, I thought, were my friends because they had your phone number. Because we actually, we were all in the same pond. We need each other. And and that was the way it was. I'm doing television programs. You are doing newspapers. You need to fill your newspapers. Um, I need to promote my television program. So that's what we do. Um, and we're we're sort of all in this together until something goes wrong. And for mine, it was when my first marriage broke up. And obviously, then all of a sudden, bang! This is a Daily Mail fodder you're on the front page of the Daily Mail, not because you've just got a new contract with the ITV, but because, you're. in fact, I was a bong on ITN. That's when it really hit me, when I sat there on my friend's sofa, because there were photographers at the house, and I was a bong on News at 10 with Trevor McDonald, who, because I watched Tis Was, will always be Trevor McDonald.
0: By the way, Trevor McDonald, I think I might even have mentioned this before in this podcast series, but Trevor McDonald is the reason I'm married.
1: <gasps> and again?
0: Because I did three events on stage with Trevor, So Trevor, and he was yeah. promoting his book, I think. And one of them we did in my wife's hometown on the South Coast. And she came with her mother to watch because her stepfather couldn't make it or whatever. Uh-huh. And she came up to me afterwards when Trevor was signing his books, and I was sort of standing in the corner, apparently looking a bit miserable. I wasn't feeling miserable. No. And my wife came up to me and said, "You introduced yourself as an LBC presenter. I love LBC. I don't have any idea who you are. Who are you <laughs> so, <laughs> Now we're married with a child so there you go.
1: <laughs> And two dogs.
0: Despite a
1: <laughs> coordinated this- bookcase. What a great, what a great world we live in.
0: Despite the despite the the tabloid interest in your life you still chose to do some reality TV.
1: Well, I think then, to be perfectly truthful, it's um I am now in my you know I was in my 30s 40s. It's what I it's what I it was my job. I've been doing it for long enough. I've been doing it since I was in my 20s. Since I was 26, I'd been doing television. So so you have to look. What do I have? What do I do? Um, or do I just shut up shop and go and live on the sky? It's or do you say I'm just going to leave all of this behind and live a quiet life? And then, and then I suppose as well, you've got bills to pay. You know, let's not forget that. Everybody like it's quite easy for people that sound like. You, know, you you do it, uh, you know, it's your chosen charity. <laughs> my my career is my chosen charity. No, it's not actually, I have a mortgage. It's what, it's what we do. So you have to then look at ways, because we don't, it's very different, isn't it? It's, it's a weird thing to say. We don't have a proper job. You don't have a proper job. I don't have a proper job. I've never, I haven't had a proper job since I left the AA and that was i was 22 so i think the ducking and diving around this business is what we do whether you're an actor whether you're a tv presenter whether you're a radio presenter it's what we do
0: you described yourself as spiritual earlier or quite yeah. spiritual are you religious
1: i i enjoy i enjoy going to church and there's something about sitting in a church and i do it especially when I travel. And if ever I'm a little bit het up, I will just go and sit in a church. And there's something um, very calming about that. And sometimes very beautiful. So do I believe the Bible stories as they are written? Probably not. Do I believe their sensibility? Do Do I believe their teachings? Do I believe what they were trying to do at the time? to look after society, to, um, to teach people how to live. Yes, I, I probably do. Um, I've trawled around most of the religions and had a look at all of them, um, all of which are fascinating. And I just think it's like you pull together this sort of spiritual feeling that we are not alone. We are there is another dimension. I'm a great believer in talking to the universe and telling the universe what I need now. And if I look back, the universe, maybe because I have is it, is it gratitude? Is it um I say thank you now? Even if I get a parking space, I say thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it's like it's like I have a team. It's like I feel and my mom's there now. It's like I feel like I have a team who are with me, so I never feel alone. And I'm sounding crackers, aren't I? Sounding completely and utterly crackers.
0: No, you sound you sound the way you come across, which seems to me to be, and this is only the second time we've met, positive and life-loving. <laughs> I,
1: I hate the fact that religions have caused so many wars when at the heart of all of them there's a love and a kindness and a spirituality and a need for humans to get on, to give love, to receive love. And they all have that in them. So how the in hell can we have so many wars in the name of religion? It's a nonsense, it's nuts. Um, so I, I like religion. I, I think it would be a terrible thing in our society if we lost religion. And I don't care if I popped into a mosque, if I popped into a Buddhist temple, if I pop into a church. We have a local church here. I love going to church. It's sometimes on a Sunday morning and it's 9.30. Mark, I say, let's go to church. Like, let's go to church. And then we're just going go and have a coffee, go to church. And it's sort of part of our Sunday. Am I absolutely hanging on every single word? No, I'm not. The dog comes with us. Soho loves it in church. He sits up there on the pew, his big ears, because he's a French bulldog, big ears are up. And when everybody's singing, he doesn't howl, but he loves it. And there's other people there. And I love looking around that church. It's not packed, it's a shame, really. But there are a lot of people sitting on their own in that church, and people who you can tell are maybe visitors, people who are quite a few unusual people. And I like that. And I sit amongst them as an unusual person with a dog with big ears.
0: You've got to go to lunch, and We've got four more questions. <laughs> so we, we can sort of quick fire them. Are yeah. you good at sport?
1: No, no. I'd like to be. I can't believe I can't play tennis. I'm so coordinated. I've got the worst out ball coordination you've ever seen. But it,
0: it's not right. But you keep fit. This is part of the same question. Do you, yes, you keep fit? Yes, I do.
1: Yes, I do. Um, I, I run about three days a week. I don't really like it. So I only go 20 minutes out and 20 minutes back. I do lots of stretching. I think people forget to stretch. Be like a child. Be like a dog, actually. What's the first thing your dogs do when they wake up? They stretch. And they do the downward dog naturally. And I say to anybody, you don't need an app to do this. You don't need, a, you don't need anything to do this. Get on the floor and just stretch around like children do and animals
0: if you were to invite me to a dinner party yes would it be you doing the cooking and if so what would you cook
1: yes it would be um, because i love cooking and my latest because i've really nailed it now is rick stein's seafood gratin and it's beautiful it's a great recipe and i like to put out on the table that sort of one pot wonder And then a few vegetables so it means that i can cook it in advance then i can heat it up i can put it out serving spoons everybody sits around and you're not flapping in the kitchen worrying about has it risen has anything risen
0: rick stein is someone who i think is just an incredible broadcaster because he comes across so naturally on TV. And and that leads me to my penultimate question. Is there someone that you've shared a, a TV screen with, or you've shared a studio with, or you've shared a live environment with for television that you feel you had the most natural chemistry with, or a brilliant chemistry? And I'm not talking about sexual chemistry. I'm talking about that chemistry where you're working with someone where it just really works.
1: Yes. Um, she's still my friend, Diane Louise Jordan, who I used to do Blue Peter with. Uh, We bonded on Blue Peter and she's still one of my best friends. And I love being with Di Di, as I call her. We were together not that long ago the other day, actually, because her husband has got a band called String Fever and they were playing just down the road here. And as soon as we get together, we can't stop talking. And I did love her. I just love her. If and it wasn't, and when we do Blue Peter together, it was a joy, an absolute joy. Actually, with John Leslie as well, the three of us, great team.
0: Final question: Do you spend more time reading or watching telly? And sort of linked to that, how do you? What is your what is your favourite way of unwinding?
1: There's nothing like rubbish television to unwind. So, well, no, actually, don't say that. I can't say rubbish television. There's nothing like light television to unwind. If you want to really unwind, get a glass of wine and watch Death in Paradise or something of that ilk, Midsummer Murders, Happy Valley, obviously, because I've binge watched now all the series.
0: Don't tell me what happens.
1: Do you ke- you haven't watched it? It's the end. Well,
0: we've just started watching the, fir- the first episode of the first series, so do not tell us.
1: All right. Well, what is good now for you? I did the same. I, I hadn't seen it. So the lovely thing is, you now, unlike the people who watched it in real time, they've forgotten so much of it. So to binge watch and get to the final series is fabulous. I loved it. I loved every minute of it, and so did my Pinot Noir. Which is the healthiest uh, red wine that you can drink because it's got the lowest sugar content. That's what I tell myself. And it's full of polyphenols, which are really, really good for your immune system.
0: And neither of us are doctors, Anthea. So people should, yeah. not, should not take should not take what you've just said as scientifically or medically gospel.
1: Yeah, but look at me, I'm full of beans. It must be to do with the red wine and the dark chocolate.
0: Anthea Turner, it's been such such good fun and so in, in, interesting to spend that time with you. Thank you for putting up with my 20 questions and, and giving thank such you. interesting answers.
1: <laughs> thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And by the way, I love the series because when you asked me, I thought I would better go and listen to a few more. And I did. I love the one on Deborah Meaden because I like Deborah Meaden as well. It was a very, very good interview.
0: Thank you. And thank you very much for subjecting yourself to being interviewed by having a conversation, having a chat. Thank you.